0: It is good to be in the house of the Lord today. It's always a blessing to hear the sound of the voices singing praise to our Lord and Savior. I think I've said this before, but it just is a it's a preview. If we actually consider what we read in the Revelation of Jesus Christ that John the apostle wrote on Patmos like we will all, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, the ethne of the world the people groups we will all surround the throne of God and we will all be singing together and if you can imagine like groups of people from all different backgrounds all different cultures all different nations probably singing in their mother tongue the same song everybody sounding a little bit different but still in unison I mean what a beautiful picture And to be here on a Sunday morning and to hear the voices when Ethan steps back and stops strumming the guitar, and I just hear the voices of the saints singing praise, it's like this is a preview of what we have in store, and this is beautiful. I cannot imagine what it will actually be like when we're in the throne room. It's just a glorious picture. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a good thing to meditate on these things. These are the realities of what we as believers, as saints in Christ Jesus, have to look forward to. You know? So... Before I just start getting pumped up and preaching, I, 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 I got to hold back a little bit. It's good to see new faces. I see some new faces in the, in the audience today, and we want you to know that we see you, and we want you to know that you're loved and that you're valued, and that we appreciate that you took the time to come spend this morning with us. You could have been anywhere in the world right now, and you chose to be here. And for that, we're thankful. We want to get to know you if we don't know you, so hang out after the service if it's a little uncomfortable spend some time talking with some of the folks that you don't know or recognize i promise ultimately it will become a blessing in your life art it's great to see you You spend a lot of time on the road we've got people who call this church their home and they travel their work takes them away so when they're home and they're here with us we're thankful for that we're just as grateful this morning for the new faces as we are for the ones who don't get to be here with us every sunday It's a blessing to be here in the body together. Yeah. Now we've spent eight weeks together so far in our sermon series on 1 Peter. So we are studying the letter of 1 Peter. We're going verse by verse from beginning to end. And we have spent eight weeks getting to the few closing verses in chapter 1. Which means we're creeping our way through the letter. But it's worth every minute. So if it's your first time and you're here with us today, if you're not a believer, I want you to know that if you don't have a Bible and you want one, we'll give you one. No strings attached. You can throw it away when you get home. But we would rather put it in your hands and leave the decision up to you what you would do with it, read it or not. If you don't know where 1 Peter is, it's a New Testament letter. That means it's gonna be in the back half of your Bible. If you don't know, what First Peter is, if you don't know what the New Testament is, and if you're looking at the Bible and you're like the back half of it, I thought it was just one book, tap the person to your right or your left and say, hey, can you help me find First Peter? There's no shame in not knowing something. We're all here to learn today, and we're all here to grow together today. So if you don't know something, the best way to find out the answer is to just ask. And we would love to help you identify where 1 Peter is if you have a Bible so that you can read along. And if you don't have a Bible and you don't want one, we're going to put the text on the screen. Nobody's going to be left behind today. We're all in this together. When we study the Bible here, we do it as a collective community. You're not just here to hear from me. I'm here to hear from you as well. So you guys are allowed to interact with me as much as I teach this morning. So that being said, I'm going to pray, and we'll just dig into the Word of God this morning. Father, we thank You for what it is that You're doing. Lord, we can't see five seconds in front of us, but You know the end from the beginning. You know what we're all going to leave here today, learning. You know what we're all going to leave here today, understanding to a greater degree. You're aware of it all. And so, Father, as your Spirit is on the move in our midst right now, I just pray that you would bless our efforts, that our efforts would be seen as a sweet sacrifice of praise that would bring a smile to your heart, that you would pour out your love and your kindness and your goodness on us, not just while we're here today in this room, but as we leave and as we take your love and your light into the darkness of Anchorage, Alaska. We pray, God, that we would bear Your image well. That we would love, truly love, that we would love the brethren and that we would love the lost. And that that love that we experience from You would be a catalyst, Lord, to bringing a great change in our own city so that our state can be changed, ultimately our nation can be changed, even the world, Lord. But let it start here with us as we faithfully Strive to be obedient to Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Alright, so today, like I said, we're in 1 Peter. We're going to be closing out chapter 1. So we're going to be reading and studying 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through 25 today. The author Peter writes, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. To you. Peter wrote this to his audience. This letter is for them because it was written to them, but the Word of God is eternal as we just read. It's living and it's abiding. It's everlasting. Which means that if Peter was writing to them and it was for them, it's no less for us today. It's our letter as the Bride of Christ just as much as it was their letter as the Bride of Christ, and as the students and disciples of Peter. Now, we're reading the text. We open the text, and immediately it jumps off the page. Once again, the Apostle Peter has decided to spotlight the necessity of obedience in the Christian life. How many of us know that obedience is necessary for the faith and practice of living the Christian life? Yeah, obedience is necessary and Peter is putting this on display in full technicolor for his audience that's reading or hearing the letter being read as a matter of fact according to my count this is the third time in chapter 1 that he's decided to place an emphasis on the reality of obedience Obedience in connection to Christian living. Now we have three different examples on the screen right now, and we're not just gonna glance at these examples and be like, well, Peter used the word obedience twice and obedient once, so that's good enough for us. We're actually gonna pause here and we're gonna read these verses together, which means I need three volunteers. Ethan, I need you to look up first Peter chapter one, verse one through two. Uh, Let's see, Tommy, can you read verse 14 out loud, and can I get a volunteer to read 22? Who wants to stand up and read 22? Art, you're getting voluntold, so, (laughs) all right, that's how we roll around here. So everybody knows what they'll be reading, so I'm going to ask Ethan to stand up and then let this airplane pass so that its noise is not distracting, and then we'll have you read these verses out loud for us. It's so interesting when we look at this verse. We've talked about this, but we're going to mention it again because it's worth mentioning. Peter's not just highlighting obedience and its necessity. He's saying that obedience to Jesus precedes the sprinkling of the blood. That means that obedience to Jesus is necessary if you are going to be consecrated by God. If you are going to be set apart by God for the work and for the will of God, you must be obedient to God. Otherwise, he will not consecrate you for his work. It's Peter who's putting in the words in these order, not me. Now let's read verse 14. Who's going to stand up? and Tommy, you're going to read verse 14 for us. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As obedient children, here is your word of instruction from the Apostle. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Passions in this context highlights nothing good. And the time of the pre-Christian life, according to the apostle, is described as a time of ignorance. Two negative terms helping us understand that God has, ha- that God has and had more, f- more in store for us. Right? So he loved us so much to find us where we were, and he loved us too much to leave us there. Peter is saying, abandon the former ignorance. Abandon the passions of old. If you keep reading, he'll say, Abandon that which you inherited from your forefathers. Because God has more in store for you. It's not just about saying a prayer and being saved in a moment, but about living a life of holiness, reverence, and honor before God for all of your life on this earth. Right? Do good works. Why? So that your Father in heaven might be glorified, Jesus taught. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Christianity 101. Let your light so shine before men. Do good works. Right? It's sandwiched between the light on the hill and the salt. Right? These are the parables of Christ. Do good things. Be one who perseveres and preserves. Not just for the will of God, but the truth of God. Don't conform to the world Peter saying and part of not conforming is being obedient. And let's reread, although I read it, let's have uh, Art stand up and reread verse 22 for us. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. It is obedience to the truth that brings a greater level of purification, i.e. a deeper level of sanctification once you have been justified. This is what obedience does. It brings about a deeper level of purity. So obedience is necessary. At this point in the letter and we're just in the first chapter, it's fairly clear that the topic of obedience is not something the Apostle takes lightly i got to ask the question, church, are we aware that we've spent the last two weeks, we're going to spend this week and next week, focusing on how the Christian ought to live their life? What do we mean when we say we're focusing on how the Christian ought to live their life? Well, we're focusing on what is commonly referred to as basic Christian ethics. And we have the Apostle Peter to thank for all of it. Because he's the one who authored the substance in the letter. Now, two weeks ago, the central focus of our study was a lifestyle of holiness. We said that God is holy, He is species unique, He is the creator, all else is the created. Therefore, He is set apart. He is not set apart where He is removed from the creation. Remember, God is Emmanuel, the one who lives with us. He dwells among His people. So, God is among us, however, He is set apart because of His uniqueness. Species unique. If we have been consecrated by God, we are to be holy in all that we do. Which means we are to be in the world, Paul would say, but not of the world. Which means to some degree, we must be species unique to the rest of humanity. So that when they look at us, they what? They long for what it is that we have. They ask us, how do I attain it? We preach the gospel and people get saved. Right? It's that easy. It's not rocket science. God made it very easy for us to live the life that he created us to live. And to do the things that he created us to do. And part of that is obedience, good works, and the proclamation of the gospel. One plus one plus one. We've got three responsibilities really in this life. It's not difficult. You could put that down on a three by five, fold it in half, put it in your wallet, and never forget it. Right, Jeff? You make lists, you put them in your wallet, and you can reference them at any time. What am I supposed to do? This is what I'm supposed to do. What was I created to accomplish? It was this that God created me for. The week, uh, so that was two weeks ago. Last week we talked about living a life of reverence. A life of reverence. Peter uses the term fear. Now fear in the Greek is synonymous with reverence, awe, fright, terror. These are all interchangeable terms for Peter. We don't need to place one as a higher priority over the other. We need to learn how to hold them in tension as we consider what it is that Peter's calling us to. A life of reverence, a life of fear before God. We said, as children of God, we need not fear our Father. Letting the English term define how we should think about the Father. However... We should be fearful of the fact that one day, God, who is our Father, will simultaneously act as the judge of both the living and the dead. And He will put a judgment on both the righteous and the wicked. So therefore, live a reverent life. Love and honor God as your Father. Fear Him as the judge. These things are things that we need to hold in tension. This week, we're going to talk about what Peter's focus is, and it's a lifestyle of love, right? Love sincerely, genuinely, from a pure heart, and love the brotherhood. Peter is speaking contextually to the church in this portion, but he's going to get to how we must love those in the world as well. Remember, we are to love those who hate us. We as Christians should not have any enemies those who are defined as our enemies should only be defined as our enemies because they see us as the enemy. We should see them as the mission field. That's right. At one time, we were far off. Right? We can't forget where we came from. And next week, we're going to talk about the transformative power of a life lived in Christ. Because God saves you, because He gives you a new heart, because He gives you a new spirit, the old habits that you were conformed to, the passions and the desires, the things that you inherited, those things can be pruned by God and He can grow new desires in you. Yeah. Desires that will honor and glorify Him, desires that will help us to image Him well. Each of these studies have been and will be dedicated to unveiling how, as Christians, we ought to live. Now, we just looked at verse 14. Well, it would probably be more accurate to say we just heard verse 14 read. So now let's look at it together. Peter writes in verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Instead, you must be holy in all of your conduct. When I read parts of the Bible like this, I pause and I say, What? Why, Peter? Tell me. Tell me why I should live holy. You're going to make a strong claim I'm gonna question the claim you tell me why I should live a holy life why should I be holy in all of my conduct Peter's gonna give you the answer he's gonna answer your question my question our questions in the portion of the text that's on the screen he's gonna say oh you want the answer I got the answer for you you ought to be holy in all of your conduct because he, the Lord who called you, is holy. Therefore, be holy. But it doesn't end here in verse 14, 15, and 16. Peter continues to write in verse 17. He writes to the saints in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He says, if you call on the Lord as Father, then you must conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Fear throughout the I don't live in exile. I'm a free citizen in the United States, baby. What do you mean exile? I'm not a refugee. Peter's letter is obviously not contextual to my life. Er, wrong. Our citizenship is not in this world. We are sojourners here just as Israel was a sojourner. Just as ethnic Israel were sojourners in the wilderness and they were in uh, Babylon longing to be at home, we too are separated from our true homes. So it is contextual to our lives. But we should still ask the same question. Why, Peter? You're making a bold claim that I should live a reverent life before God and before man. Why should I do it? Once again, we're going to look at the immediate context and we're going to look at the beginning of the chapter to answer the question. And Peter's the one answering our question. He says you ought, you ought to be reverent in your life before God and men because of the same merciful Father who has caused you to be born again, also functions as the judge who will sentence both the living and the dead. By the way, when God judges everyone impartially, He will judge them according to what they have done. This is a very sobering statement for both the churched and the unchurched. For the believer and the non-believer. God will judge us according to our deeds. Read 1 Peter. It's right there in chapter 1. God will judge and he will judge fairly and righteously, and he will do it according to what we chose to do. This is a wake-up call for the church. How are we living our lives? These are just two of the many different reasons that Peter gives for why we ought to be obedient. Go ahead and raise your hand if you tend to agree with New Testament scholar Thomas Schreiner. I do, who writes in his commentary on 1 Peter, While he argues that obedience is necessary for conversion, he says ultimately it can't be separated from both faith and practice in the Christian life. I agree with that statement. Do you agree with that statement? You know, we don't just agree with Thomas Schreiner. We actually agree with the Apostle Peter because he's the one who wrote the text and the text is our greatest authority. We just so happen to agree with Thomas Schreiner because he correctly expounds on the text. So we're not looking for the scholars to necessarily give us the answers because Peter is the one who can give us the answers. The text has been given to us and God's revelation to humanity has given us all that we need for life and godliness. Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Are you guys picking up what I'm putting down this morning? Okay. I want to make sure that we're tracking. We've laid the groundwork for, for this morning's Bible study. So since we've laid the groundwork, can you guys read this next slide for me, please? have your souls by your to the truth for sincere love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Jason and I were like, that's really hard to do. <laughs> It's so hard, right? There are just people that I don't like. And they don't like me. And God's like, you don't have to like them, but you need to love them. Right? I don't need you to be friends with everybody, Matt, but I do need you to love everyone. Right? Do good, Paul would say in Galatians. Do good to everyone, especially to the household of faith. That's what Paul would say. Peter seems to agree with him. Now when we read this, the first thing we need to do is define what it is that Peter means when he writes obedience to the truth. Peter, what do you mean when you write obedience to the truth? This obedience, whatever it may be, appears to accomplish two very important things when we look at what it is that Peter writes. First, this act of obedience It seems to function as the catalyst to one's conversion. We could say that obedience functions as the catalyst to the purification of one's soul. Peter is saying obedience is important. Don't marginalize it. Second, we could say that this act of obedience seems to give birth to one's ability to love authentically. Imagine that. You need to be obedient to the truth if you have a desire to love authentically. That's a tough pill to swallow because we're literally buying into the idea that those who are not in Christ lack the ability to love authentically. And we would say they lack the ability to love authentically because they don't understand the love of the Father. And because they don't understand the love of the Father, they can't extend that same love. They can't attempt to extend the same love that they themselves have received. Are we ready to share this news with the world? Or are we going to cower in the corner? Because Peter's not afraid. He's writing to five Roman provinces, Gentile-dominated churches, and this is the kinds of things that he's willing to say to them. Which means we have to ask ourselves, Are we not just going to stop at contemplating these truth claims? Are we going to share these truth claims with those who are lost and dying? The ability to love authentically. So what is it, Peter? What is it that you mean when you write obedience to the truth? Well, New Testament commentator Alan Stibbs notes that obedience to the truth is a clear reference to how one should Properly respond to the gospel. If there is a way to properly respond to the gospel, you know what that implies? There are many ways to improperly respond to the gospel. We need to consider the positive and the negative aspects of what it is that we're saying. Now, who's able to recall the words of Peter? the words that he preached that luke recorded in the early chapters of the book of acts is anybody familiar with what it is that luke writes about peter's preaching in acts chapters 2 and 3 this is the birth of the early church right he's reaching back into the text of the old testament he's preaching in accordance with the scriptures that jesus is the messiah that he's the christ that he is the rescuer and the redeemer and the reconciler of the whole fullness of humanity this is what peter's preaching in acts if we're not able to recall it it's okay because we're going to read it this morning can you guys read this next slide for me please Now, we need to understand that Peter is preaching the Gospel. He's preaching the Gospel and this is the close of his Gospel message. He says, repent and be baptized. Now here we are in chapter 3, Peter has once again just finished preaching the Gospel and he says, repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This is Peter's theology. This is Peter's doctrine, his instruction on a proper response to the Gospel. You want to know how to respond to the Gospel? According to 1 Peter, look at what Peter preaches in the book of Acts. The same man who's preaching is the same one who's dictating or writing the letter. Repent. 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 Hmm. Sounds kind of like John the Baptist, Ethan. You open with a word from John the Baptist today. Totally unplanned. Prepare the way. For who? For the Messiah. For the Lamb of God who will what? Who will take away the sins of the world. If He is responsible for taking my sins, I should turn from whatever it is I'm worshiping and I should begin to worship Him. It's that easy. I wonder if any other New Testament authors weighed in on the topic of obedience to the truth. You think so? I do too. Now our first sermon series in this church took us through the letter of Galatians. So let's look at what Paul has to say. Remember, we're talk, we talk a lot about reading letters vertically. If I have First Peter and I'm reading First Peter vertically, I don't leave First Peter. I read it top to bottom, top to bottom, top to bottom. That's vertically. If I'm going to read the New Testament horizontally, I put First Peter next to a letter like Galatians and I see if the theology and the doctrine of both Peter and Paul match. And if they match, then we're in good standing. If they don't match, we have a problem. You let me know when you find theology that contradicts. I've been spending the last 10 years of my life in this book, and I'm still searching. So, what does Paul say? He says, I am astonished. Now, he's writing to the Gentiles in Galatia. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the Lord who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different Gospel. A different Gospel... Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul is writing to those he evangelized. He says, when I came to you, I gave you the truth. I gave you the truth about the gospel of God. And there are some who want to distort. That means it's no longer the truth. And you're pursuing their version of the gospel? I'm astonished. It blows my mind, Paul says. That you would choose to pursue a distortion when you could grab hold of the truth. And you know the truth because I delivered it to you. What does he say in chapter 5? He says, You were running so well. Who hindered you from what? Obeying the truth, obedience to the truth. There it is. Saints, this means that we can be hindered in our pursuit of God, not just by the enemy, but by the desires of the world. Our own hearts are wicked. We need to be prepared. Paul writes something similar in his letter to the church at Ephesus. Let's see. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What is the word of truth? Because that's what Peter says we need to be obedient to. Well, Paul says the word of truth is the gospel. It's the good news of your salvation. Well, what did they do when they... Heard the good news of their salvation. For them to hear the good news of their salvation means that some obedient Christian must have gone to serve them. Well, the obedient Christian who was gifted by God and called by God and sent to serve them was Paul. And Paul proclaimed the gospel of God. And when they heard it, they believed. This is why Paul writes in Romans that faith comes by what? It comes by hearing. When they heard and when they believed, They were were filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit. So obedience to the truth is not just a priority in Peter's life. It's a priority across the spectrum of the New Testament. A proper response, not an improper response, but a proper response to the proclamation of the gospel can be defined by one's desire to repent and be baptized it can also be defined by our desire to turn back. If we're going to turn back to God, what are we going to turn from or away from? Well, we must be turning away from the passions of our former ignorance. And if we're going to turn from the former ignorance, and if we're not going to be dominated by passions, we're going to return to God. And what is the outcome of our experience when we turn to God? It's times, plural, of refreshing. We just went over this. This is good news. We should be stirred up right now in our hearts and in our minds because we're being encouraged by the very revelation of God to His people. It's for these reasons and many others that the topic of obedience is central to the writings of the authors in the New Testament. If there is a lack of obedience to the truth, there will be a lack of consecration no obedience no sprinkling right first peter chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 no obedience no sprinkling if there is a lack of obedience to the truth there will be a lack of consecration if there is a lack of consecration ultimately we as human beings will be incapable incapable of extending authentic love from a pure heart that's a sad reality I want to be able to love, and I want to be able to love the way that God loves me, which means that I need to put my faith in Christ first, so that He can change and transform me, making me able to do the things that I want to be able to do. And I don't just want to talk about it, I want to be about it. Anybody else here want to be about it? Yeah. Amen. Now, Dr. Keener observes that for the Apostle Peter, the highest expression of obedience to the truth is evidenced by a sincere brotherly love. Think about that. The highest expression of obedience to the truth is evidenced by a sincere brotherly love. Now, this is only true in a horizontal capacity. Peter's not talking about God needing to see us be obedient to the truth because God can see our hearts and God will judge us by what it is that exists in our hearts. But when we're looking horizontally at a humanity, we're looking for those who are obedient to the truth. And when we see those who are obedient to the truth, how do we know that they've actually responded properly? Well, they're given the desire to love sincerely. That's what Peter's saying. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter instructs the church universal to love one another. Love one another. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Greater love hath no man than what? Louder for me. Yes. Yeah. So this is consistent with what the Master taught as well. Loving fellow Christians is no minor issue. It's the standard. Loving the brethren is the standard. We don't get an option here, people. (laughs) There is a demand from the Creator to love from a pure heart. If we sit here and we say, I don't want to do that, we're immediately putting ourselves in a state of rebellion. Loving the brotherhood is not an afterthought. It's a central concern for the Apostle Peter as well as it is for the other New Testament authors. Can you guys read this one for me, please? Y'all thought Paul was a gangster. (laughs) Spend some time in John's literature. John does not pull any punches. The strongest imperatives, in my opinion, the strongest commands come from the Apostle John. The sternest words of instruction come from the Apostle John. You think Paul's a gangster in Corinthians? Read 1 John this week. John makes it very clear in my mind, Who can be saved and who cannot be saved? Who will be saved and who will not be saved? And when you read that, I'm looking and I'm like, ah, the qualifiers for those who cannot and will not sometimes define my life. Sobering. Sobering. That's what we need to do. So I did check that. Uh, Love here is agape. It's not phileo or Philadelphia like it is in 1 Peter. But they can be used synonymously. They can be used specifically. But the agape love that John is writing is the same love that God extends to His creation. Right? When God created in Genesis, He said, It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. It is very good. Right? Speaking of humanity. The love of God that He extends to His creation causes the creation, Paul says in Romans, to groan, to long for His return. Right? Even the creation was subjected to, futile, to being futile because of the sin of man. So when we're looking at this term here, love, it's the term agape uh, in the Greek, and it's, it's the love that God puts on humanity that we're supposed to extend to other human beings Uh, The love that we receive, which would make it a verb form in the Greek, I believe. An action. Yeah. So we're talking about how Peter is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about how there is a cohesiveness of thought. We've looked at Paul, we've looked at Peter, and we've looked at John. Three different authors in the New Testament. Consistent theology, consistent doctrinal instruction. We, saw, we, we said that loving fellow Christians is not a minor issue, it's the standard. And I don't think John could be any clearer. Christians, that's us, brothers and sisters, we ought to love one another. Not as if one another were family, but we ought to love one another because we are family. Our spiritual bond, the fact that we have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, the fact that we have been Spirit-filled, Right? That is a bond that transcends biological composition. James, I am as much your brother in the Lord more than I am with my own physical brothers on this earth because God is the one who gave us our new birth and our, our, uh, our new parental lineage transcends that which my own father could deposit in me. So we need to love one another. Now Joel Green argues that love requires a group ethos of solidarity and loyalty. He says love is essential disposition. It's an essential disposition favoring others in the community, which by proxy is a refusal to do harm to them. He says love is a commitment to strive towards harmony within the family of God. I wonder sometimes church, when I look out at the church universal and then I look in the mirror, Do we strive towards harmony within the family of God? So how about a quick inventory, huh? I'll just use my own observations and my own life experience, and you guys can share in this inventory with me. How are we doing when it comes to loving the brotherhood from a pure heart? Earnestly, by the way, genuinely. There are Christians who make a full-time living on YouTube heresy hunting. There are Christians who make a full-time living on YouTube putting on the uniform of theology policeman and policing people they're not even in relationship with. So do we do this? Do we heresy hunt? Are we out there looking for those we think are off? Are we the theology police? Do we get our handcuffs and our Bible and our whistle and... Wrong! Wrong! And I'm going to tell you why, whether you want to hear it or not. Know your name. I don't care about your name. You're wrong. I'm right. You're going to listen to me. You won't get a word in edgewise until I'm done. And when I'm done, I'll leave so you can't try to correct me. I have friends like this. I used to be like this. Sometimes I fall into the snare of picking that lifestyle up again. If this is us, or if we're unsure if this is us, we just have to ask ourselves a couple of very easy questions. Do we love to major on the minors? Do we love to major on the minors? Do we love to create essential doctrines out of non-essential doctrines so that we feel justified in our division? Do we do that? Sister Mary, she listens to Bethel. Does she know what Bill Johnson believes? She actually told me I should only listen to sovereign grace and that I should abandon listening to Bethel. But then I went and did some research, and guess what? Sovereign Grace is having all kinds of conspiracies arise right now. So I wonder what she thinks about Sovereign Grace now. Brother Bill, why are you listening to Joel Osteen? He preaches the prosperity gospel. Does he know any better? Do you stop when you hear a brother listening to someone like that? And is your immediate response like, I'm going to fix this person? Or is it like, hey, turn that down real quick. How about we go grab a cup of coffee? How about we open the Bible? How about we read the Bible together? How about we see what the Bible has to say to us You discuss with me what it is that you think. I'll discuss with you what it is that I think. And then we'll see if it lines up with what this preacher's teaching that you're listening to right now. I don't need to tell you he's wrong or off. The Holy Spirit will bring you to a deeper level. When I got saved, I was listening to Joyce Meyer every single day for an entire year. And then one day in the shower, I was like, I heard this message before and that was it I never turned her back on but you know what for the first year of my life God used Joyce Meyer to sanctify me you're going to tell me that God can't use her a woman preacher who's stuck in the prosperity movement he used her in my life I'm not going to look down on someone who might enjoy her sermons or read her books do I want more for them? Absolutely. God wanted more for me and He delivered me from that. But it's on His timeline, not mine. Do we love to create essential doctrines out of non essential doctrines so we feel justified in our divisions? I'm right. So, therefore, when I castigate this person, I can feel like I'm doing the work of God. Wow is that loving the brotherhood from a pure heart (laughs) okay let's try something else on for size how do we feel about those who get saved or who are saved and choose to work in fields that we don't approve of this one hits very close to home for me and my wife (laughs) and my family better get prepared because y'all are gonna get thrown under the bus right now because y'all have been acting this way so now you're gonna be held responsible for the way that you're acting When my wife and I got saved a little over 10 years ago, we got saved out of a life that was dominated by sin. Now, everybody gets saved out of a life that's dominated by sin, but we were celebrating our sin publicly. And we got saved. Now, normally when people get saved, God calls them to go. Go, therefore, into all the world, right? Preach, teach, make disciples, baptize. But when we got saved, God didn't call us to go. He told us to stay. He told us to stay because we had already gone. We were living in the world. We were working downtown in Anchorage in the service industry, and we were bartenders. And our families were like, they got saved. They're not going to work in the bar anymore. And we were like, no, we actually have to stay. God's going to put his power on display. As he changes and transforms us, the whole world is going to be forced to watch it. We are going to become monogamous when we were not monogamous for the majority of our lives. We're going to get sober. We're not going to be dominated by substance when our whole lives were dominated by substance. We're going to get married to one another because we want to honor God in our lives. And we are going to force the world to watch God change us. As we serve Him a drink and be like, God has more in store for you. You know how I know? Because He had more in store for me. And he saved me out of this, and I can still exist in it. Now, I'm not telling everybody they should be a bartender, but I'm telling you, you should be obedient to God when he says, Go, go. When he says, Stay, stay. That's it. You know, we have family members who chose to ignore the fruit in our lives. Jesus said, Good trees produce good fruit, good fruit was growing. Not only was good fruit growing, people were getting out of the lifestyle that we were stuck in ourselves and they were getting saved and giving their lives to God. People, uh, my own family, was choosing to marginalize the fruit in our lives and overlook the salvation of people who were coming out of the life that we were trapped in to say, it's not my preference for you to work there. Like it tarnishes your reputation or something. Get out of here. It's not... Good that I should be there doing what I'm doing? People are getting saved. Jude says, snatch them from the fire. I feel like I'm doing that. And you want to tell me I shouldn't be there? Paul was at the temple in Corinth where they were having orgies, getting people out of there and planting a church in Corinth. He was at Mars Hill, the temple of the Pantheon, and he was preaching the gospel. You're going to tell me that he wouldn't go to the pub? Get out of here. Do you know what the marketplace was like in the first century? Paul was right there selling his tents. That dude's walking a little boy home. Paul knows what he's going to do with him. When that guy stops and says, make me a tent, Paul's like, oh, can't make you a tent or bake you a cake, bro, because you're, you know, you're taking advantage of a child. Oh, really? No, Paul's like, I'll make you a tent. It's going to take me eight hours today and 12 tomorrow. Sit down. Do you know the gospel of God? (laughs) That's what Paul would have done. He would have taken every opportunity to preach the gospel where it had not been preached. Read Romans. Are we doing this church? Or do we look down on those who are working in fields that we don't approve of? There's Christians who have organized themselves, who have been rescued from the pornography industry. And they go into pornography conventions because they know that lifestyle. They're not bringing people who struggle with lust into these conventions, but they having been delivered from it and having been desensitized to what it can do, they go in there and they preach the gospel. And you know what? People get saved. And there are Christians who are like, let the people in the porn industry die and burn. What? Are you kidding me? No. No the mission field if you go into the mission field you will be surrounded by pagans and heathens you will be tempted to sin it's not just in my life that my wife and I have experienced this that the church hasn't loved us for the work that we've done in the world while not being of the world this is plaguing the church parents and grandparents are the number one reason the next generation will not go into the mission field Not my child. The pygmies, the African content, they could get sick, they could die. When did martyrdom not become something that could be pursued? Parents and grandparents in America are the number one obstacle. I didn't say it. Barna said it. Peer Review says it. Everyone should go except for my baby because my baby shouldn't be put at risk are you kidding me ladies and gentlemen how are we loving the new convert how are we loving the new convert you know the one who came to church one time heard the gospel raised her hand got saved then ended up going out it was a Thursday night Then ended up going out and posting pictures of how she was throwing down in the bar how are we how are we treating the new convert who has no idea how she should live again now that she's been born again? What about the dude who's just in the gym, rep after rep with his t-shirt on, making sure that every woman in the city can see so she'll swipe right on his Tinder? When that guy gets saved, but he has no idea how to live his life, how do we minister to these new converts? Do we curse them when we see this type of behavior on social media? Do we question their salvation at every turn? Or when we see this, do we drop to our knees and say, Lord, deliver them from the sin and bondage that they're in the same way you delivered me and the same way you're currently delivering me? I got a friend right now who walked away from the faith. He can't stop talking about it on social media. He doesn't believe in God, but yet he can't stop talking about God. And i got a bunch of friends who are like, let him go. Let him get a taste of the world. No. Pray for the brother that he might not learn to blaspheme, Paul would say. Turn him over to the world. We didn't even have to do that. He turned himself over to the world. Now let's pray that he would return because he has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I wonder if discipleship even crosses our mind or if we're only willing to disciple the polished. As if there is such a thing as a polished person in this room. There is no one in this room that is polished. And if you think you are, you got a problem with pride. Unpolished. You look out at the world and you're like, God, thank you that I'm not like that person. And immediately you're the Pharisee in Jesus' parable. Don't be like this one. Be like the one who hangs his head and says, I'm worse than all of them. In fact, Paul would say, I am the chief of sinners. When Peter says love one another earnestly from a pure heart, he's attempting to describe a love that is unfeigned, genuine, a love that is unhypocritical, a love that lacks any and all ulterior motives. I'll love you, but you've got to return the love by showing me that you're going to be sanctified. That's not the kind of love that Peter's talking about. Saints, do we know how to love like this? It's a hard question. Do we know how to love like this? And i got to ask it because we should know how to love like this. It's the very love that God gives us. The very love that we experience every moment of every hour of every day. Have we already forgotten? Great is your faithfulness. Why is His faithfulness great? Because His mercies that we need are new every day. How dare we look down on the lost as if they have an option to not be enslaved in their sin? How dare we look down on the saints in Christ Jesus, the bride of Christ, as if they should be more sanctified when it's God who is sanctifying them on His timeline? How do we participate in bringing about the positive uh, end of God's means is the question. Do we curse or do we bless? That's the thing that we need to be asking ourselves. If we have been blessed to receive this great love, the least we can do is extend it to those who have been born again. That's the least we can do. And the greatest we can do is extend it to those who hate us. Being born again is only the first step. Hip-hop, Christian hip-hop artist Dayton says... People get born again all the time. Rarely do they learn to live again. Learning to live again once you've been born again is one of the most difficult processes to master. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Amen. If you know what I'm talking about, amen. Can you guys read this for me, please? Peter uses verse 23 as the explanatory power to verse 22. Verse 23 is key to our understanding of this portion of the text. Peter says it's actually possible to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So, Jason, you and I need to hear that. It's actually possible to love one another from a pure heart. And you and I are going, How, Lord? It is so difficult. And he's going, oh, I know it's difficult. You're going to need me to accomplish it. And the moment you try to do it in your own strength, face in the mud. Peter's argument is that we ought to love one another because we have been born again. We've been born again. Our ability to love deeply flows out from the new character that we receive in being born from God's seed. Not from man's seed. The human seed of a human father is perishable and earthly. Therefore, the offspring produced from that seed will ultimately perish. Everyone in this room has been born of human seed. Everyone in this room is going to die. The nature of the seed that begat us is the nature that we will inherit. Right? And if you don't think that's textual, just read Genesis. This seed begets this type of tree. And this seed begins this type of fruit, and this kind of its own kind, and this one of its own kind. It's how God designed the natural universe. We must understand that the laws of nature dictate that everything that springs from a seed shares in its nature. This is why the gospel, church, this is why the gospel, the living and abiding word of God, is actually good news the seed that God sows is not of this world. It's not corruptible. It's incorruptible. God's Word never becomes obsolete because it shares in the nature of its author. Just as God is incorruptible and unfading, so His Word is incorruptible and unfading. This is why the Apostle Peter confidently describes it, it the text, as the living and abiding Word of God. Jesus says that His Word is the truth. And then He prays that we would be sanctified in the truth. God's Word is therefore the truth, and it's through our obedience to the truth, i.e. the Gospel, that we have been purified. Do we believe? Serious question. Do we believe that the Gospel is the power of god for salvation? Do we? I don't know. You know, some people believe that the spirit needs to regenerate you before you can actually have faith. It doesn't agree with my theology, but it's on the it's on the table for discussion. Some people actually believe that the spirit needs to regenerate you before you can have faith. In my mind, that would cancel out the reality that the gospel is the power of god for salvation. Because God has called us to proclaim the gospel. Why? So that people can be saved. But it's on the table. So you may sit in your chair and have a different theology than me and say, actually, Matt, I disagree with you. I know what Paul means when he says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And it's the Spirit who brings about that regenerating work. I would say, okay, we have a difference of opinion, but we're not going to divide on it because we're not the theology police. We're going to love one another purely from from a good heart. We're going to focus on the majors and not major on the minors. Because that's what we're called to do. I could be wrong about my interpretation. I could be. Which means I need to humbly stand before other brothers who have different views and I need to be confronted with how they interpret the scripture. Because God may be calling me deeper through that experience. But if I hold them at arms bay and I never engage with them, I'll never go deeper. There's no such thing as the lone wolf Christian. We talk about that around here all the time. If we believe that the gospel is now, always has been, and forever will be the power of God for salvation, then we, like Peter, can say that according to His great mercy, the great mercy of the Father, we have been born again because of the death and resurrection of Christ, and all of this was made possible through the living and abiding Word of God. Can you guys read this next slide for me, please? I don't know about you guys, but I find it very interesting. I just find it really interesting that Peter decides to close out this section of the text with a citation from the prophet Isaiah. He reaches back into the Old Testament and he's like, I'm just going to drop this right here in the letter and I'm going to do it very intentionally. And I'm sitting here, you know, thousands of years removed from the life of Christ. More time than that removed from the life of Isaiah. Probably 2,500 years from the life of Isaiah. You know? And I'm like, what is Peter doing here by quoting Isaiah? Isaiah. He's got to be making a strategic move here. He's not just like, I don't have anything to say, so I'm just going to throw some Old Testament reference in here. He's not doing that. He's very intentional in what he's doing. So we have to ask ourselves, like, what is it that Peter is attempting to accomplish? Well, we could talk about, he's not just attempting to accomplish one thing, but we don't have time to talk about all the things that he's attempting to accomplish. We could talk about what this meant for ethnic Israel in the ancient Near East, we, and we could connect it to the church in the New Covenant era. We could say, what did this mean to ethnic Israel and how does it apply to the church in the covenant of grace? You know, or we could discuss the reality that the natural created order is finite. And because it's finite, therefore it's futile. And if it's futile, it's transitory. If it's transitory, it means it lacks permanency. Just like our residence here on this earth. We could talk about that. We could get really dark this morning. And we could highlight how human beings, without exception, are like the grass of the field. How human glory is like the flower that falls. How brief our time is here on earth. How we will all experience death in this body. Even for those of us who are caught up in the twinkling of an eye, this body will perish. Because it will cease to exist in the state that it is in now. We will all die in this body. We could talk about how as humans, we are the exact opposite of what is both living and abiding. Because we're not. However, I'm not sure that that's the focus of Peter as he writes to the churches in dispersion. What if I said that for Peter, the focus of the passage was the Word of God? We could probably get on board with that. The Word of God that's the very same gospel that was preached to His audience, it's the very same gospel we proclaim from this pulpit this morning. You see, if the seed from which we have been begotten is perishable, then our fate would surely be that of the grass or the flower. Our fate would be death. But if the Word of God is living and everlasting as Peter says it is, as Isaiah says it is, and if as believers we have been given new birth through this word, then the life into which we have been reborn may ultimately be unending. Unending life. And a life like this, Peter says, Peter says a life like this ought to give birth to an enduring love for one another. You have been given a life that is unending, church. Therefore, love one another wow God really is serious about loving God and loving people they just so happen to be the two greatest commands and everything that the prophets and the law was written about hangs on these two things okay all right enduring love for one another well Joel Green writes that the good news of God is efficacious in generating, cultivating, and sustaining new life. That's good news too. It's effective in not only generating and cultivating, but sustaining new life. Praise God, I've been given all that I need for life and godliness. Okay, that's good news. Obedience to the truth does what? It gives way to new birth. New birth gives rise to a sincere brotherly love. And all of this has been made possible through the living and abiding Word of God. And this is the good news that was preached to you. So my charge this morning, church, my charge to you and to myself is that we must respond properly in obedience to the truth. That is the Gospel which God proclaims. There must be a proper response to it. That's my charge. If you have not properly responded to the Gospel of God, I would encourage you to do so today. It will change your life in the most dramatic way. Life will get more difficult for you. Absolutely. But it will be worth every moment. Not only is that my charge, but I want to encourage us to remain loyal to the end. Because we cannot run the race as if we have finished it. We should run the race as if we're actually running it. Paul says at the end of his life, he's running as if he had crossed the line. Raise your hand if you're near the end of your life. Not me. So I'm not going to make the claim that Paul made. He's probably sitting in chains, looking at the block they're going to lay his head on, going, that's my future. Oh, I've crossed the finish line. None of us are there. So we don't get to presume on our status. We need to live for God in the present. And guess what? We can live for God in the present because we've been born again. God has not left us ill-equipped for the job. The only question is, are we willing to live the life that God has called us to live or are we continually bent on trying to do things our way? As we prepare to wrap it up, I just want to close with some practical applications. You know, more and more with the presence of media, is the church becoming a greater and greater target? Hillsong, they're doing a documentary on it right now that talks about the abuses in leadership. My wife and I had a devastating experience when we were saved. We were... Uh, partners with a ministry and we found out that the person who was over the ministry was abusing the funds we had been supporting them for years and we thought what do we do we just have to cut our support off and redirect it right but we can't get mad at the church but so many people aim their hate and their anger at the bride of christ and it's getting easier and easier to do that. I just saw yesterday that Grace Community Church, John MacArthur's Church, is now they've been investigated by a credible source, Julie Royce, the same one who opened our eyes to the ministry that was being abused and the funds we were sending. It's tough, right? But the church will fail. Why will the church fail? Because we are human. We are composed of fallible human beings. But the, 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 the bridegroom of the bride will not fail. Because He is the King. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. Amen. So when we see the church failing, we have two options. We can direct our hate at the church as if it's God's fault that the church is failing. Or we can choose to love the brothers from a pure heart. What are we going to do? You know, it seems like it's trending to say that I love Jesus, but I hate his bride. I was just having this conversation with Brent. How long do you think Brent and I's friendship would last? If I looked at him and was like, bro, I love you, dude. But I can't stand your freaking wife, man. She pisses me off. How long would our friendship last? About that long, right? I'd probably get a stern rebuke and then told, Don't talk about my wife like that ever again. Which is exactly what I would need to hear, right? Right. But somehow the church walks around with this idea that they can love God and hate his bride. Are you kidding me? You cannot do that. John said it. You're a liar. If you can't love the ones you've seen when you claim to love the one that you haven't seen. To do this, to embrace this culturally like acceptable like style of behavior that is wrong would be the antithesis of what it is that we just read today. It would be the antithesis to it. It would be the opposite. It would be to oppose the truth of what Peter is saying. The antidote is humility, people. I needed to hear this. The antidote is humility. Do we know who wrote the letter that we're studying? Peter. Get behind me, Satan. I will never deny you. I will die with you. I swear to God, I don't know that man. Peter, I need you and the apostles to wait in Jerusalem. Wait for my instructions. I'm so sick of waiting! Who wants to go fishing? Right? This is Peter. Post-Pentecost. Peter goes and evangelizes the Gentiles. He speaks to Cornelius and the Spirit falls on the entire household and they're saved. And then Peter goes... To Galatia and he causes division in the churches that Paul's planting not gonna do uh, the Lord's Supper with a Gentile because they're unclean what does the church hate Peter how many mistakes did Peter make the church loved Peter They submitted to his authority in the midst of his failures. That's who God chooses to use. Why would we anticipate that anything would be different today? We cannot fall prey to this way of thinking, church. We must love genuinely from a pure heart. The antidote is humility. Not only did the church love Peter in the midst of his failures, He refused to give up on the church. It was a symbiotic relationship that was held together by the Spirit of God. Do we desire to be like Peter and the early church? Or are we pulled into the direction that the world dictate we move in right now? These are very sobering questions that we need to reflect on as we study the Word of God. We're five minutes past, so if you need to leave after I'm done praying, that's fine, but I'm going to invite Ethan up to close us in, uh, in, in a song of worship after I pray, and then we'll do our doxology. Father, we thank You for the fact that Your Word confronts us because we need to be confronted. We are sinful, wicked creatures. We thank you, God, that in the midst of our sinfulness, you decided that you would not only rescue and redeem, but you would reconcile us and you would do it at the cost of your own life. God, we are thankful that you have set the example for us, not only in word, but indeed in the life of your Son who has shown us how to love from a pure heart. And not just those who are His followers, but those who were opposed to Him. Father, we want to embrace this way of thinking. We want to meditate on this way of thinking. We want to see this way of thinking permeate our lifestyle. We want the world to look at our lives the way that they looked at the life of Your Son and the lives of His apostles. and they, they, We want the world to say, whatever it is that they have, we need it. God, I pray that You would use us to bring about an effective change in the church, in our city, in our families, in our workplaces, Across the entire face of the earth, Lord, use your bride to continue to build your kingdom as we co-labor with you to the day that you return. We thank you and we praise you for what it is that you're producing in us through the trials that we face as you continually confront us from a foundation of love. Father, we are so thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen.